Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi, I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. I'm fortunate enough to hear from and meet quite a few listeners of this podcast and it really thrills me when I hear from people who are just getting started with investing or who are keen to take the first step because when you're first starting out, it's a big deal. It's quite nerve-wracking for a lot of people and it's fantastic to see people actually investing to take control of their future. Today I'm joined by a fellow podcaster, which is a bit exciting. This is Phil, who has become the host of Shares for Beginners, uh, a podcast which is exactly what it says it is, a podcast for people who are getting started in investing. Phil has been interviewing experts and sharing his experiences as he gets started with investing, or actually he's been going a bit longer than I anticipated, in the share market, and he's going to share with us a little bit about what he's learned. Phil, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my real pleasure, Gemma. I'm really excited to be on here. I mean, it's like world's colliding two podcasts <laughs> coming together. I mean, people of a certain age might remember the days of um, Petticoat Junction in the 60s and uh, <laughs> and the Beverly Hillbillies would appear on the Petticoat Junction show. Oh, so right. it's a, this is a little bit like that, I think. This is this is my feeling, Gemma. <laughs> I've not I've not seen either of those shows. I, I no, can't you're a bit too young from, for that. But I can't I think speak from be, personal experience. I think some of the listeners will remember that reference, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully well, I know we've got one listener who's 72 because he emailed me the other day. <laughs> so Phil, tell me about when you got started with investing. What prompted you to get started? What was your experience like? Well, it was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking about the late 80s. I mean, my first invest... My first investing experience was really in the uh, the floats, the GIO, CBA, Telstra. But I did um, make an investment before that. I, I had a reference from my accountant to a stockbroker and I actually went into his office and it was in those days where um, you, there was no online trading. There was nothing like that. And I remember making my first trade and going into his office and discussing his recommendation for a trade. And uh, from memory, it was Gervois Mining. I'm not sure if that still exists, but I, I think it might do. I think I might have seen it. And um, I remember him writing it down on a chit of paper ringing up someone and um, handing it, handing this chit of paper. I don't know what the process was after that. And, of course, in those days, um, there was no way of checking the prices apart from reading them in the paper. And there used to be two editions every day. And um, I, fortunately, I worked in Surrey Hills, which was right next to News Limited. And I think it was the Sun or the Mirror in those days would have an afternoon edition and you'd be able to see the closing prices. And that was the height of technology. <laughs> That's incredibly, mm. incredibly cool. So I started a little bit later than you did, probably about 10 years later. And very similar experience you had to – I didn't have an accountant in my experience. I had to go and look up a broker in the yellow pages mm-hmm. and uh, and I rang them. I didn't go into the office. And I have to say being a sort of teenage girl, which I was at the time, they don't take you terribly seriously when you really? ring up and say I want to buy some shares. <laughs> I think they gave me to the youngest, least experienced broker they had who was probably about the same age I was mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, because I don't think they had to have any formal education or anything so he'd probably just left school. And uh, it was very similar this idea that you uh, you chose something based on fairly limited information, right? Mm-hmm. It was nothing like the kind of research and insights you can get now. So I, yeah. um, I'm always a little bit jealous of new investors now where the wealth of information that's available to them is amazing and the execution capability is extraordinary. Although I think they can... Um, uh they can be overwhelmed by the amount of information as well, which is something that we can talk about later on in this uh, episode, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 
Talk about the process you went through with the first decision about what to buy. Did you just take the recommendation you were given? Totally, just took the recommendation and uh, then a few months later sold it at a small profit, which which was very exciting. And then there was a couple of other trades I remember we were doing I can't remember the names of the companies, but um, yeah, it was very exciting. But it was a very measured process in compared to what it what it's like nowadays, because it would involve long conversations on the phone with the broker, and um, uh, talking about his observations about what would be happening in the future in the market. So you were very much dependent on the views of one person though, mm-hmm. in that environment, right? So. Mm-hmm. How did that set you up to make future decisions? Did you continue going back to that broker for their research? Did you want to branch out and learn for yourself? No, no. At that stage then, it was, it started, the float started coming through and I became much more of a long-term investor just buying some of these shares in the floats and sitting on them for a long period of time. I and think- then, yeah, there was a long period there where I wasn't investing really at all in the share market until I guess it was... Oh, Actually, I actually made one of the first podcasts before there was even such a term as wow. a podcast. Okay. In the days there was no YouTube. I'm talking about the late 90s. And we actually, uh, myself and a business partner, we, um, uh, and we were involved with an ISP. And we actually had our own server in this ISP that we'd load audio files onto. And um, we actually had the Rivkin report. Oh, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah, Renee Rivkin, the, <laughs> the colourful Sydney identity. Mm. And um, so, yeah, we were. Um, that was an area where I started again to start, um, and I was taking Rivkin report recommendations as well because being involved with them. Um, but, yeah, that was an interesting time as well, just suddenly thinking, okay, well, we, we can make actually make an audio program. We don't know what it's called. I, I think we called them audio casts or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, created, I guess, which would have, what must have been one of the first podcasts in Australia. That's fascinating. Yeah. So what prompted you to start this podcast? Oh, okay. Well, there were several things. I mean, I'm from a a media production background and an audio background and um, I've worked with a lot of financial services companies over the years and um, I think it's, it's been about... I've been trying out a few podcast ideas and then I've realised that I am actually really interested in the share market and share investing and it's something that I've actually been doing um, quite a lot over the last 10 years or so um, with varying degrees of success and so I thought I would give it a try. Um, And I organised a couple of guests and got them on and started putting together. That was November last year and then the first episode came out in February this year. And um, the response was quite immediate and I was very surprised and excited that there's actually an audience for this. And um, uh, so the process, it's really been a a process of trying ideas that I would be able to get an audience for and this one really uh, took off off straight away. So you've done quite a bit of research into your audience, which I think is amazing, to understand the types of people who are listening, what they're listening for. Mm. What have you learned about what they want to learn? Well, interestingly, um, Spotify have only just started giving out their listener information, their data. Uh, Data for listenership on various platforms is quite hit and miss. But Spotify actually gives you the age groups and the uh, gender and so forth. And I'm really surprised that um, 66% of my audience is between 18 and 34 years of age. It's quite a young audience. It's 70% male as well, which is a 
I think, a bit of a problem and it's a crusade that I'm starting on as well where I'm trying to encourage younger women to actually learn what's going on. So I guess what's come from, from that is finding out that the, the, the thirst from a younger demographic for this kind of information and also learning... I think a lot of them, they start getting excited. Mm. They've heard about Afterpay and they think, <laughs> oh, I want to make lots of money like that. I want to buy an Afterpay. Um, but then what I'm hoping to show is that um, it's not about finding an Afterpay. It's not finding about a, a single stock that's going to make you a million bucks, you know, being, what is it, a multi-bagger, a ten-bagger as mm. they call them, hundred-bagger. Um, it's all about when you're young that you've got time on your hands and that is the greatest gift that you've got. And it's really learning. The thing is ETFs. What I've learned, the biggest thing that I've learned is about ETFs. A year ago, I didn't even know what an ETF was. Oh, wow. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And um, so my, my whole personal investing style is now all in ETFs and it's learning about asset allocation. And this is, I think, some of the information that I'm trying to impart much more to the younger people that are listening to the podcast. That is absolutely fascinating because mm. what I was going to say, I think you talked about getting started in the floats in mm-hmm. the sort of late 80s and 90s, which was amazing, right? Mm. Australians getting access to really high quality companies, but brands that they knew and companies yep. they'd had experience with, right? So you used Telstra every day, literally mm-hmm. back then. Uh, and you, you know, you would go into a Woolworths. I've talked about it before. I remember taking home the Woolworths prospectus from the supermarket, giving it to my father. It felt very so, collaborative, didn't it? It did. You feel it part felt, of something, yeah. feels really tangible was the mm. most important part, whereas a lot of share investing, um, you know, if you are not born in Western Australia, you might feel investing in mining stocks is a little <laughs> bit out of your league, right? Mm. But Afterpay is such a great example when you talk about a younger demographic where this is a product that they use yep. regularly mm-hmm. and it's extremely tangible to them in the way yep. that Woolworths was to us mm-hmm. uh, and probably still is to everybody else. Uh they can invest in those companies that are growing very rapidly. And we found certainly with NabTrade, the appetite for Apple and Amazon and these big technology names in the US was really high from younger mm-hmm. people yep. because yep. they have so much exposure to these companies in a way that people would not have had 20 years ago, which I think is really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, it's interesting as well learning about these companies and um I mentioned as we were chatting outside about the Australian Shareholders Association and how um, one of the members of the association was giving a presentation and actually explaining the difference between a 20th century company and a 21st century company, like uh, Zero was the example that he gave. And um, he gave the example that in the 20th century you would... um, uh, you'd build a factory and then you'd produce things. And if you wanted to produce more things, you'd put in more factory, bigger factory, and then keep producing things. But that factory would end up on the balance sheet. Mm. Okay, but um, and Zero was the company that um, he was using as an example. They don't have a factory. They have um, new business development. And that new business development doesn't end up on the balance sheet. They don't have a balance sheet. So there's a cost. I think it's two or $300 per uh, client acquisition. And so that all comes off the profit and loss statement, which means, of course, their PE ratio doesn't show anything, you know. It's, it's hundreds, of, hundreds of times PE. But, um, what the, but what he was showing is, okay, there's nothing on the balance sheet, but once they've acquired that customer and they're making money every year 
and I'm making this uh, hand gesture here. Oh, yeah, there's quite important <laughs> this, visuals happening here, but they're the hand gesture of this, um, uh, this revenue line going up upwards. And so once the customers have been acquired, then the money that will be made from them uh, continues to increase over a period of time. And that's the biggest difference between a 21st century company and a 20th century company. And I think younger people understand this a lot more intuitively and when you start talking about balance sheets, it's like... <laughs> yeah, it's a less fascinating concept. It's an, an ephemeral thing. There's a dematerialisation that's taking place in between those two centuries. It's an interesting world. So mm. how do you choose a guest now? So you're mm-hmm. using this podcasting experience to improve your knowledge and your is, understanding yeah. and also mm-hmm. to share it with obviously a large proportion of young people but also some older people. That's only one proportion of your listener yeah. base. So how do you choose a guest who you think is going to be able to deliver great ideas and insights and learnings to the people who are listening? Um, there's various ways. Um, I mean, as we were chatting before, there's a lot of people who try and come on our podcast mm. because they've got something to sell. And um, that's a fine. I don't mind because everyone's got a, a business and uh, they've also obviously got some great information and great insights as well. But what I try and do is talk to the guest about making sure that we've got something that the audience will want. Now, the way I ascertain what the audience wants, I've got a listener survey on my website, sharesforbeginners.com forward slash survey. And um, this has been great because a lot of the topics basically come from from there. This week um, I had a questioner about, she had a lot of questions about ETFs and explaining ETFs. And again, this is another one of my crusades. I still haven't actually worked out the the best way of explaining what an ETF is. Mm. It's a very difficult concept. But So this listener asked me all these pertinent questions about ETFs and I'm getting someone now from a, um, a website called ETF Watch. I'm not sure if you mm-hmm. know of them. And uh, Stephen Bull's coming on and we're going to talk about it and we're actually going to specifically address these listeners' questions. So that's been a great way of, um, of finding that out as well. And... Um, uh, my my latest episode, um, there was a, a listener who wanted to say, okay, everyone needs to do their own research. Mm. All of my guests are saying, do your own research. And this listener says, well, where do I start with research? And it was just the perfectly timed question because I had a um, a guest on Andrew Page from Strawman, which is a, a research blog where people um, – it's a crowdsourced research page. So we were able to discuss research, where you start with research. And if you go to the Strawman blog, there's some fantastic insights that you can get um, from, it's basically an old-fashioned investing club that's now online. Bless. Mm. That's that's a cool idea. Mm, It is. So what is, and you've already alluded to a few, which is fantastic. What's the most useful tip you've picked up so far? Oh, there's been many. There's not one. Mm. Okay, ETFs, um, Mm. which brings me to diversification. I realise now that I was hopeless at diversification in the past. Um, I'd have theses that I'd sort of come up with in my head. Actually, that's the most basic thing. It's, and I even know there's a name for it now, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where you overestimate your own ability. (laughs) And that's the one, that's that's the Mm. thing that I was terrible at. You know, I was always overestimating my own ability to invest. Um, So firstly that, and then realising that I was never diversified enough, um, which is why now I really invest mainly in 
ETFs to get that kind of diversification, but not only diversification across the market, diversification across asset classes as well. So for me personally, realising now, okay, well, I should be in bonds, I should be in fixed interest, I should be in property uh, and be covered in diversification, not only in the share market and being part of an ETF that's got the top 200 companies, but also very many other sectors as well. So they're two very powerful concepts. You mentioned about overconfidence. Apparently mm-hmm. that's uh, far more likely to be a male characteristic. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's all that testosterone. No surprise around. to anybody. But apparently <laughs> it's far more likely to be a male characteristic yes. than a female characteristic when it comes to investing. And for women it's the opposite, which is mm-hmm. they have insufficient confidence in their choices. And so they hold back and so on, which might have something to do with their listenership rates. I yeah. find it quite fascinating. I found out the other day that the podcast I listen to most frequently, there's only 15% women who listen to yeah. it. And I was like, yeah. I'm obviously one of the one of the few. Well, this is this is part of my crusade because, um, well, first of all, my daughter and my stepdaughter have got some money and they want to invest, and so I'm trying to explain an ETF to them, and I still haven't got it to that stage where their eyes don't glaze over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, yeah. so important to to know that. And but then on the other hand, I've been talking to younger women. Um, in some of the companies that I've been um, having interview guests from, and because they're, they're, they've suddenly been put into a situation where they're being exposed to investing every day, they go, oh, it's not that hard. And there's some really easy, simple concepts that you can do. So really, this is part of my – I've got two crusades. I've got the crusade uh, for women mm-hmm. and I've also got an idea, some sort of indigi vest for Indigenous people as well to learn about um, investing that's really what's come out of the podcast for me is the the idea that I can be actually helping people who should be realising that investing's for everyone. It's not just for people who they perceive as being rich. I think it's such an awesome point and I will say um, I think I was always comfortable with the idea because my father was getting started mm. in investing at exactly the age I was getting interested but he was learning so it wasn't like he was – already an incredibly astute investor, he was learning about investing in the share market and I watched him learn and I think that was very powerful rather than just seeing him doing it, which might be a bit intimidating and assuming that there was some secret knowledge that I would never be able to tap into. He was reading it and he's an academic, right? So he will read everything you can read and he will ask a lot of deep questions and challenge everything and all that kind of stuff. And that was quite important, I think, to go oh, it's a process and you can follow the process and get Mm -hmm. to a point where you feel confident making decisions. And like many, made plenty of terrible decisions myself, you know, but was willing to get started. And then because I moved into finance as a sector, even though the proportion of women in that sector was absolutely tiny when I started, and it's better now but still disproportionate, Um, I was frequently on the Your Money channel, for example, Mm -hmm. and you'd be sitting in the green room and you'd always be the only woman, right? There'd be 14 guests in a three-hour segment and maybe one or two of them would be women. So I completely – under, and none of them would have been Aboriginal. Mm -hmm. So you can understand why a person who does and see themselves well represented in the yeah. suite of people who are apparently experts might feel it's too hard. I know, and I think that's that's a great thing about technology at the moment and the opening up of media and technology is that there are people who you would not have been traditionally, you know, your um, white man in a suit mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. who are getting involved and talking about it. 
And um, I've, I feel that, that that's something that I've been able to bring to it because I come from a different background. I, you know, I come from audio, sound, music, radio. You know, I was in bands in the 80s and that. So my perspective, I feel, is um, very much being a bit jolly about it and having some fun with it, but also um, trying to explain things really simply. I think that's really powerful. Mm. And, uh, we, you know, we're talking about demographic characteristics like race and gender, but there's also the sort of uh, the personality type, the creative right. type tends yeah. to go, that's not for me. Oh, right? Too analytical, that's... too boring, not mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So to have creatives bringing ideas to this stuff I think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's been great fun. And it's work. great fun. I'm just really everyone that I've meeting in the industry, I'm really enjoying meeting. They're such wonderful people as opposed to creatives. Who can be... <laughs> <laughs> They're all horrid. Um, <laughs> It's uh, so. What's the most common tip you've heard so far? You've talked about the most useful. Is there something that most of your guests agree on? The most common investing tip is not to rely on anyone else to do your own research, to be to actually know what you're investing in, um, and really not to because there's so much information out there and you can just get overloaded. And if, and if you just sort of go, oh, that um, piece of advice or information I'm reading on this blog or I'm hearing on this podcast, that sounds really good. That makes sense to me. Don't just go and act on that. You've got to do your own research and you've got to challenge your own ideas. Okay. That's the thing is just to, I mean, you know, we we talk to fundies all the time Mm. and they've got those meetings where they sit down and someone's got an investment thesis and they think, okay, this is a company that I want to invest in, then everyone's got to pile on <laughs> yeah. and say why that's a bad idea mm. before it goes in. And you've, you've actually got to do that with your own investment decisions. And it's a really difficult thing because we're not, we're not trained to think of it that way. We're actually very emotional creatures, aren't we? And I think that's the, the main tip that everyone uh, seems – it's very, very much a common theme amongst all my guests – is to do your own research and to be very, very hard on yourself and hard on your own ideas. I think that's really powerful. For me, it's a little extrapolation from that idea is also never invest in anything you don't understand deeply. Yeah. So I think the greatest risk for people who are getting started is they're sold a gorgeous, shiny idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's where we've seen it. You would have seen it as well as I uh, these really damaging experiences mm-hmm. for people. They're in complex black box products. Uh, they trusted a person who was mm-hmm. uh, very personable, very easy to get on with, uh, had all the people skills but may not have been ethical or may have had just some yep. really bad investment ideas themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, all that kind of stuff. One that I'm finding fascinating uh, there is a pink shiny thing that mm. is currently being advertised on every single website I go to, literally, and being sold as an investment. This is an investment. It's delivered 12.5% per annum over the last 15 mm-hmm. years. And if you look at the source, the source is hilarious. It's like the, you know, the pink diamonds research report or something that no one's ever heard of. And it's amazing to me that there is enough value in them to advertise yeah. that directly yeah. to people. But I'm sure there are people who go, oh, pink diamonds, great. Yeah, <laughs> I will invest in that, 12.5%, fantastic. Uh, and it was also the thing that brought people undone with all of those uh, guaranteed income products mm-hmm. were sold during daytime television, all of these products that seem a little bit too good to be true. Yeah. That yeah. point about doing your own research is so important. Actually, I haven't even thought about that because, yeah, there are so many products some shonky products marketed out there. I actually haven't really thought about that. I was thinking more in terms of like um, how everyone got excited about lithium. 
Oh, yeah. A few years ago. Everything Loving was about lithium. lithium story, you know, yeah. We're going to have batteries. That, but No, it's true what you say. There are products being marketed to vulnerable people all the time. I mean, we think it's about those call centres calling us up from um, mm. and, you know, telling us that our NBN is going to be disconnected. But the mm. scams can be much more subtle and much more pretty and shiny, as you describe, than, um, than that. It's very true. Mm. Uh, the lithium story is really fascinating to me because I, I do not consider myself any kind of expert in resources-related mm-hmm. stuff. It's just not my background or my area of expertise. But two or three questions to someone who is an expert would have said, it's very easy to bring lithium online. Very. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were very clear It's so about common. It. It's they, assault. It's yeah, everywhere. <laughs> they all were like, yeah, it's a great story, but mm-hmm. the supply constraints are not there. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, to maintain yeah, prices right. at yeah. this level, and it's um, it's, what you mentioned as well, knowing what you're investing in. So many times you hear people say, "Oh, you know, X Y Z company." They're, you know, I've been hearing a lot about them. I think they're great. And you say, "Well, what do they do?" <laughs> oh, something with computers. You know? It's a technology thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm Lots talking about even just really basic research, you know. In in fact, the latest episode, the, the um, guest Andrew Page from Strawman has mm. got a checklist for investors and it's a fantastic um, checklist in terms of knowing what you are actually investing and I highly recommend that. That's fantastic. I think mm-hmm. everyone could get some value from something like that. Yeah. So have you learned anything from your own experiences? Is there anything that you go, wow, I'm never going to do that again or that worked really well, you know, things that you try to apply from your own experience? Well, I'm not going to be undiversified ever again. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to do everything in – well, actually, I'm not going to do everything in ETFs. I mean, eventually I will try and go – because that's the thing, single stocks. One of my guests had the great um, uh, phrase, single stock shock. Mm. And that's if you're in a single stock or if you're only in three or four stocks, you get that one shock and it's going to really affect your your bottom line. So I'm never going to do that anymore. I'm going to be diversified as much as possible. However, the other thing is, of course, that's where you're going to get the great gains. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get great gains from an ETF, from an index-hugging ETF. You're going to get great gains from that one share that um, has got a great story and eventually that story is going to work. Um, gee, I've learned so much this year, <laughs> Gemma. It's really hard to to just not think of just one thing. Um, I guess I'm just not going to listen to myself without um, checking myself very severely <laughs> beforehand anymore. That's fantastic advice. Mm. It is fascinating the the extent to which people come from different ends of the spectrum. Mm. A lot of people uh, whom I speak to have no confidence in their ideas at all. And then you get the other people at the other end of the spectrum with a lot of confidence mm. and then learn the hard way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. It's uh, listen to no one. <laughs> <laughs> do your own research. That's there you right, go. do your own Same research. Same as everybody else, <laughs> do your own research. So, Phil, how do people find you? Start following some of the work that you're doing, uh, see that your ideas uh, <laughs> about working with Indigenous people and helping women get more encouraged to invest and so on, see that come to life, find your podcast, where do they go? Well, they go to um, on their favourite podcast player, just uh, put in Shares for Beginners, mm-hmm. or you can go to the website and subscribe there, which is sharesforbeginners.com. That is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Phil Muscatello from Shares for Beginners, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Gemma. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we hope this episode has been helpful for you on your journey to creating wealth. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, like Phil said, we love getting feedback and we love hearing about the topics that you want to hear about. We do work on them. Uh, Please just email us at yourwealth.nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. 
To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.